0: You hear me? is, what the church is like, and um, I thought I would uh, go into the book of Romans, I was kind of, I thought I would be hanging out a lot in the first Corinthians actually, and God was like, no, go into Romans, so um, I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 8, verses 8 through 15, and uh, we're going to kind of bounce around. Um, Romans 1 Verse 8, it says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because of your because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to the Greeks, and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Um, Paul, I Andrew mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but Paul, if you remember, when he started out, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a chief persecutor. He hated, he hated God's people passionately. So much so that he not only led the charge for the first martyr of Stephen to be stoned and held everybody's jackets so they could get a better throw at Stephen basically but he was the one who went and got permission to go round up Christians so they would be beaten or imprisoned or even killed so Paul is like at at this point early in Acts persecutor of persecutors of the church right and Jesus shows up and he knocks him down whether you think he's walking around a horse right Uh, he knocks him down and says who are you that's persecuting me, right? Paul responds that he's his Lord, by the way. That's the first words out of his mouth he calls Jesus Lord. But Jesus is showing in that moment that he identifies with his church completely, that an act of persecution against his church, right? His children, his brothers and sisters, his friends, was an act of persecution against him himself, right? Kind of the point that Adrian brought up a couple weeks ago when, when they were sending someone to give love Paul. He looked at it as the whole church was giving him love. Jesus looks at it as when someone goes and brings harm to you, it's as though he's bring it to himself. Right? So this Paul, right, that Jesus turns miraculously is saying right here, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I don't want that to go unnoticed. That this, is, this is the radical transformation that Jesus Christ brought about in him that now Paul is looking at all of them as his family. Now Paul is fully identifying in them and in Jesus Christ whom he was blaspheming and persecuting before. Right? And he's saying all of you. He's not just saying, man, I thank my God for John Lyman, you know, because he thanks God for John Lyman, but he also does for Andrew and for Tanya and for Matty Mac and Crowley and Shannon and everyone else. He says all of you. It is because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The church couldn't stop talking about the faith of the Roman Church, right? Every time, every time something good came up in the church, right, the rest of the church bragged on it. Right, you will always see in the letters this kind of like this bragging or recognition from elsewhere, where somehow they're hearing about everything that is going on. You know, all of these other churches, both the good and the bad, right? Sometimes it was admonition, sometimes they had to correct things, right? But Paul was always hearing and always wanting to know what was going on in these other churches. In fact, Thessalonica, he was there three weeks. Three weeks was all Paul was in Thessalonica and yet you see in his letters afterwards like he's dying to, to get news of them or to go there because he's so worried about them. Thessalonica, because Jesus was their leader, they were fine. Right? But this is how the, the church was operating. Then Paul says he wants to at last succeed in coming to them. So this is this is something that Paul desperately wanted to do is to go to the church at Rome, right? This is these are words when he says at last, right? Your 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 soul, your emotions are saying, Finally, this is this pent-up anticipation of doing this thing that, that that I desperately want, I desperately desire, I need to have happen, and and at last it happens. Right? It's the fulfillment of what your soul has been longing for. This is how Paul is saying he feels about the entire Roman church. Right? He wants to at last succeed in coming to them, if God wills. And he says he longs to see them. Now, again, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep mentioning Andrew's sermon because there's some similarities. It's that vulnerability that you're talking about. It's saying, "I'm not ashamed to let you know that I love you and I really, really, desperately want to see you. I want that time with you. I want to know you better. I want to know you more." Right? And usually, we, if you're like me, are too prideful to, uh, to tell someone, "Hey, I, I really want to see you. I really miss you." You know, unless you're angry, right? You know, get angry pretty easy to tell someone that. Why are you such a jerk? Right? But to just say, man, like, my heart hurts. I want to see you. I really miss you, right? Because you have to be vulnerable. You have to put yourself in a position where, you know, you acknowledge the fact that you desire someone else's company or, or their presence, right? Their, their voice. Something about them. Um, you know, I I long to see you all of them, right? I long for... Friday or Sunday, you know, I long for times during the week. Meeting. I long for a PP, and then the time afterwards when we fellowship. Right? Um, I was thinking earlier today that God was reminding me of some of the things that I love and that I have cherished over many years and things that I long for, things I sometimes think about frequently, right? Um, Bible studies where we had four or five people in the living room for six hours, right? something up on huh? post-op debriefings right that we'd get together we'd go out and do something we'd bring the gospel to people we'd be out there grinding and we'd be spending hours out in the hot sun or whatever we were doing out in the cold trying to bring the gospel of jesus to people and then we'd all get together afterwards and we'd all talk about what god had done you know we'd all talk about what that person had said what we said or what something the spirit was doing right and it was a way of building each other up and encouraging each other. It's also a way to kinda of unwind and just enjoy what God was doing. Not in us alone, but in everybody. And you could brag on what Jesus was doing, what the Holy Spirit did. I longed for that. There's some of the prayer meetings we've had, baptism nights, you know, like I think about when Catherine was baptized, and then later when Chloe was baptized, right? Yep know, prayer meeting or Bible study or something, all of a sudden a baptism breaks, right? You're having towels and spare clothes and you're running to a boat launch and you're going into somebody's tub somewhere, right? You know, you, sometimes in, in other churches, right, it's all this sanitized, pre planned thing and, you know, that's great, I'm never going to denounce that because that's people coming to the body of Christ and that's to be celebrated, right? But it's awesome when you see it happen right in front of you and you're part of it and you get to be right there to watch them just go, boom, I'm hopping in the tub, or let's run down to the boat launch at midnight. Kind of like they do in China, right? Places where they're persecuted. We're going to run in the dark. We don't do this back in the back now, right? I miss that. I long for that. Not that I want to see you can get baptized again. I just want to see other people. Right? <laughs> the camaraderie we have over Brian's bossy. Right? I don't want to see Brian get to again. But man, I, I love that. And when persecution comes again, I want to see us rally around even better around our brother or our sister, whoever that happens, right? I want to, I want to see everybody drawn together, Not just even from this body. Do you remember people from other churches were being drawn into this, right? People from other churches came into the battle after that. that that's something I long for. I long to see that. I don't long to see anyone here suffer. I just long to see that. Right? I was thinking about this. My old church that I used to go to. I was deep at that way back in the day. I long to preach there again. Not because I ever want to go there and be a, a member again, and it's not because of of any other reason other than I love where I'm at and what God's doing with you. Man, there are times when i really love to see their faces and be able to preach the word and like Paul says to impart some kind of give some kind of spiritual Strengthening or encouragement to them. Right? That's something that I long for. Movie nights, bonfires, Johnny and Annas. I'm kind of, kind of disappointed that they're not here right at the moment. And like, if y'all haven't been to Johnny and you're missing out. You got to go, right? Like, he's got like this outside, almost like a little mini theater, whatever. It's like a man cave outside. Right? It's awesome. Redneck and ghetto aren't that much different, by the way. So, like, <laughs> but it's cool. And I love being over there with Johnny. And when we, we do bonfires, we're just going out and, like, cutting down trees right in the middle of the night, right, when you can't even see anything, and we're just throwing it on the fire. And it, basically it's basically because we love each other's company, and we want to be around each other. We don't want to leave, right? I haven't talked to one in Starbucks, even though I don't drink Starbucks anymore. I miss that. Bonfires of Ryan and Paddy's like we had the other night. One-on-walks with Shannon and Gemini and Stevie. Hanging out with Jake and Aaron and Andrew in his living room, right? These are things that I miss. These are awesome, awesome nights. I remember one time, it was on uh, a Resurrection Sunday, Easter, right? And uh, uh, Andrew calls me up and he says, Hey, man, come on over, you know, I wasn't doing anything. So I go over there, it's like, I don't know, 10 11 at night. And I don't, not even an hour after I get there, a Bible study breaks out where we literally just randomly open a passage and start going around and talking about it. Man, that stuff, was, that was awesome. I longed for that. Okay. Paul is about mutual encouragement here. So there are things that I long for, some of these things, and some of them are because of that mutual encouragement. There are things that you long for, too. Okay. Don't be afraid to tell people that. Don't be afraid to show that. Jesus longs for you, right? I sometimes it surprises me that no matter how disobedient or awful I can be, there are times when God can still, you know, he'll speak to me like he did this morning and it's funny because I was looking for a passage and he told me what it was and I was like, Oh no, that's not right, it's you know, the chapter before that, right? And then I go North and, and sure about this chapter and I was like, Oh yeah, oh. I'm going to tell you where something is in your word right? he longs to have me come to be in his presence and I don't understand that right? because none of you have or anybody from any other church that I've been to been against me Jesus but he longs he longs for all of you so I don't I don't always get that Paul says he wants to bring a spiritual gift to strengthen them, but immediately afterwards, right? He says that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Yours and mine. this is the Apostle Paul who gives us like 13 what is the 13 books of the New Testament, right? Out of 27 books, so almost 50% of all that's written in the New Testament. The majority of the theology that doesn't come from the Gospels is given to us by Paul. Most of the most specific so we actually kind of can put things together that all comes from paul and the mind that god gave him right the inspiration the holy spirit gave him and this guy is coming and he's saying i'm looking for you to to build me up and encourage me too. paul didn't see it as one way yeah paul I mean paul nobody had an, a motor they didn't operate like paul right they weren't all going out from place to place to place to place and getting beaten in like 10, 20 different cities, right? They weren't being arrested God knows how many times, right? They didn't necessarily do all that Paul did for the church. Paul said he poured himself out like a drink offering, right? When he was coming at the end of his life. I don't know that everybody did that, right? But Paul was expecting them to bring something to him, right? It's like when Brian's up here earlier, he says, we don't come to hear one man talk, right? We didn't come just to hear him talk. We came to build each other up, right? Paul expects that and he yearns for it, right? Everybody, all of them. He's thinking that whether it's the new convert or somebody who's been with Jesus since the very beginning, since the first time the gospel was preached there, that they have something for him to encourage him or build him up. There is no part of the body that's not necessary. To all of you, with the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that they're going to bless Christians every day. Right? Soon to be Christians, people who have been walking with faith for years. That could be pastors, celebrities. It could be the anonymous Christian man walking down the street. He you know was the name, right? God knows his name very well. Right? He's no less important for Jesus. Paul says he's eager to preach the gospel to them, right? He's always preaching the gospel of King Jesus. We we do that. We preach it all the time to each other. We've got to remind each other, hey, you have liberty in Jesus, right? There are these things that we are not to do right, but there's so much liberty that Jesus has given us. He just gives us boundaries so we don't harm and kill ourselves, basically. That we don't bring his name to shame in each other, right? He reminds us that he loves us. It reminds us that we're forgiven and being cleansed, right? That whatever it is that we've done that we think makes us so dirty and untouchable, right? It reminds us that we're being cleansed. In uh, Romans 12, verses 4 through 13, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body So we don't all have the same function. Even though Paul's expecting to be blessed and encouraged by these people, he's not expecting them all to do it the same way. Right? He's not thinking that every single one of them is going to come to him necessarily with some kind of Bible study. Right? He's not thinking that every one of them is going to come to them with a prophecy or a healing. Right? We can't all be, we can't all be the giver. Right? God gives some of us different amounts of resources and, and wisdom. Be able to give. Right? Not everybody's a teacher. Not everybody's going to be recognized that way. But everybody is expected to participate. Everybody, like it's not just that he expects it from them, like it's a demand. He yearns for it. He's like, hey, I want what Cassandra has to bless me with. I want that desperately. I want what Natalie comes and brings to the table. Right? He's not looking at it like one of them is. Is, is lesser than the other or one of them is, is undesirable all of them every single one of them Everything's is integrated our, our brothers and sisters God will use to help us with our soul problems in different ways Jesus cares for us but he uses different people in different ways right someone else you know, may, uh, they may come and have a prophetic word for your situation, right? If you have teachers, you have a multitude of teachers, right? It also says there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, there's safety in a multitude of counsel, right? Having those different people will bring you wisdom and safety to have them build you up, right? But not everybody, you know, we're not all gonna get it from one person, we're not gonna get it from group people. We're going to get it from everybody. We go further in Romans 12. It says, let love be genuine. And pour what is evil, that means hate what is evil, right? Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Right, we're going to go back to that. Don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. When he says, when he says no hypocrisy, or let love be genuine, he means no hypocrisy in our love. right? It's genuine. What you see is what you get. Right? There aren't walls, there aren't masks. I'm not coming saying, hey, I love you, and really saying I hate you in the back of my mind. Or I love you, I just wish you weren't here, right? Well, when I say that I've been as guilty of that as anybody. And I don't mean that by calling you or whatever, just in general, in my life with people in front of me. It's not because I'm trying to be faithful to them. It's because I have moments when I'm trying to control this messed up anger or self-pity or whatever it is I have going on in my soul. And I see someone come up, and it's the person God is bringing to expose that and get me over it with. And I'm looking at it like, man, I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to be fake to you right now, but in my heart, you're going to act messed up towards you, right? God's saying, don't do that. Let your love be genuine. Whatever your love is. I would rather have somebody, like I always say this, and I think people may think I'm crazy, but I'd rather have someone say the most horrible, awful, jacked up thing to me, not because I want them to sin against me, but just because whatever it is is real. They don't have to be angry with me. They don't have to, whatever. I don't have to agree with them, nothing. Just whatever it is, let me know where I stand, right? And they should be able to expect that from me, but we, as people, that's part He's saying no. Let me get over that. Let your love be genuine. Jesus is love for you. He doesn't hide when he's angry, right? The Spirit doesn't decide. I'm not going to convict Matt today of whatever sin he's committed, right? The Spirit tells him, and then he encourages him, right? He builds him up. He gets him over it. He sanctifies him. He brings him through it. He heals him. Let love be genuine. Hate what's evil. Hold fast to what's good. Look. If if my love isn't perfect towards you, you don't have to love the part that's not good. Right? You can hate that, right? You should hate that. The whole test of what's good. You know, the reason why Paul is able, you know, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, to be able to say, hey, these people really love me, right? Is because he understands that they didn't love him perfectly. They may have abandoned him in his time of need. They may have done him wrong at some time. Right? But ultimately, they loved him, and he just kept what was good. And he, he, he hated what was evil. He put that away. He forgot about it. Right? He didn't want it held against him. Love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly love or affection. I was looking this up earlier because I was curious. Um, if, you, if you read the whole sentence, it uses the word Philadelphia, and then uh, I think Philistagros. Um, which is like a compound word. Right? And it implies that we have the same, it, it's not like an abstract emotion of love, right? It's not like just good feelings for one another, right? It's true affection for one another like you have for a brother or a sister, like an immediate family member, right? Closest of all people to you right here, right? That's what he's saying. Love one another like the closest people in the world are right here. Every one of them, right? Not just one or two, all. No strangers in the body of Christ. Andrew brought that up a while ago, right? It's because strangers and enemy and distrust, these are things that are a result of a fall, right? These things happen because of sin, right? Because the world is falling. Because we don't know people now. We don't trust people. We don't want to let people in. We put all, all these walls to protect ourselves. Because from the world, right, that's good, Right? But the church brings us back to Eden and then ultimately do something better because of Jesus. Jesus says we're to be known by our love for one another. We're praised or condemned by him. You read Matthew 25. On what we do for the least of these. And Jesus, he was pointing to the sheep to his brothers, because at least of my brothers, whatever you do for them, or did not do is what you get praised or condemned on. Okay. So do not be slothful and zeal, be fervent in spirit, to serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. That one kind of stuck out to me earlier, Like actually, you know, sometimes we focus on, like, Seek prophecy, right? Look to speak in tongues, but seek the greater gifts, right? You're supposed to seek to, to be able to have that kind of relationship to God, which is great. But he also says, seek hospitality. That's actually a command. Like that's something to that be desired above other things, is to be able to bring people into your home or to be able to serve them in some way like that, that they feel welcome and comfortable, right? You ever go to somebody who's really hospitable in their house and they're always sometimes it drives me crazy, i like. That. Like they're always like picking up your glass and stuff. Like, I want to take. You know, they're worried about things being neat and clean and everything. I'm like, just kind sit down. Like, you know, me, all the time. It's our love line with this thing. Like, sit down. I want to spend time with you, right? And they're like, they're hospitable, right? They're like, hey, I want to make sure you have enough food. I want to see if you want more to drink, right? If you don't have that drink, you want to take that for you, right? I'm like, I, I drink going the soup. I don't want to do that They want to serve you right? They want to love you. He's saying, Sit that. Sit that. 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 Look, not everybody's going to be given hospitality and especially not to the level that some people here have, right? But everybody can desire that, that kind of servant attitude towards each other, right? Um, one the thing, I'm, to, I'm just going to bring this up, this is kind of going back to that brotherly affection thing, but I don't want to avoid it. Um, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and in other passages, Paul talks about greet one another with a holy kiss, right? I remember picture me as like a mid-twenties something brand new believer who's never been to church in his life and has grown up in the world, right? And we didn't have all of this acceptance of like LGBTQI etc, right? Like, that was not a thing back then, not really. I mean, it was starting to get there, but it really wasn't, right? And you have guys saying, man, I don't know if I'm going to be giving anyone a holy kiss, right? Like, I'm not comfortable. i might give you a bro hug, right, like this, like shake hands and kind of do one of those numbers, man. But I, I'm going to give you a holy kiss, right? I don't, that's not a cultural thing, right? This is something brotherly affection to have to one another. When you come in and, like, we're warm and we hug each other, right? Um... Yeah, uh, Mark Copperplate, those of you who know him, he and I have greeted one another with a holy kiss on more than one occasion. Virginia Slim, right, this little girl, she has also done that when she comes up to me sometimes, right? And there's nothing, you know, this isn't something where I'm worried, you know, in my masculinity, oh man, is somebody going to think that, you know, I'm gay, right? Or is somebody going to come and get into my bubble, right? Because I'm looking at this person and they're a brother or a sister in Christ, right? There's actually at least one person to here that I've also greeted with a holy kiss, right? Now I understand that some people have boundaries and you kind of work with that, through that, beyond that, right? But the level of brotherly warmth and affection that we have for one another, right? I was thinking a while back, I thought it's tax, right? Matt was mentioning on the C53, right? Like is text still here? Where's he at? You know, did he go? You know, we'll text. I just went back to Texas, right? But there was one time I went and I hugged Tex, right? And I gave him, like, a real hug. It wasn't like a puppy like, barely touching hug. It was a real hug. And in my mind, in my heart, I was thinking, like, why would I hug Tex more? Like, why I hug Tex more? Why would I ever treat him? I enjoy hugging text, not in way, because he's my brother in Christ and I love him. And also because that makes text feel good, because people all around give text no honor, or other people in the same situation as he is, no honor. Right? They act like he's untouchable, like he's a leper. He can walk around on the outside, but he can't be quite in. right? And we don't want to get too and you go and you get that close and you say, I love you, you're my brother I am going to hug you you are as close to me as anyone you are as worthy of my love and affection as anyone I want to bless you, I want to encourage you you know that endorphins, God designed us God's beautiful design that when people come up and they touch us in a loving way in a kind way we have endorphins, the body starts to feel good right, the body does better but it's not deprived of that. That's a fact. There's actually articles written even about you know women benefit more from that, and Satan trying to take that away, right? Sabotage that puts women into a place where they're objective. Right? So then you can't, you can't have that because you, you have that protection, you have that wall, off, you have all the people kind of guarding against that, right? Alright, brother? I said earlier, when it comes to that particular aspect, right, I had this fear of people perceiving that maybe, you know, I was would, would gay or something if I hugged a guy or especially if I had a holy kiss, right? In the book of 1 Corinthians, right, before he gets to that in chapter 6, he mentions some of them were homosexual and effeminate. Some of them were people who were idolaters and people who were uh, immoral, you know, you know what I mean? Some of them were all of these other things, right? Brawlers, you know, violent people, violent men. And Jesus, when he redeems us and brings us together, says, you are not that anymore, and we are going to treat you like you are not that anymore. You are a brother, you have been made clean. David Arthur came in here, for those of you who know who he is. And I hugged him. And I didn't hesitate to hug him because I love David Arthur. I love his ministry. He's an awesome brother in Christ. He's always encouraging. And I didn't want to give him this perception of, well, you're my brother and I want to be like, yay, David, on Facebook. But when you come to see me in person, I'm going to be kind of like, "I I hugged David and I love David. David's been made clean. I'm not going to treat him as if he, he, he's in his sin and he's not repentant. I'm not going to treat him like he's dirty. Okay. Paul says to outdo one another and show him honor, honor like, you know, you, you see someone's value, their worth, it's honor that you willingly assign to somebody, not because I'm sitting up here talking about honor or because somebody in a book that you read or on a Facebook post helps you, but because you look at someone and you say, man, they are valuable. Jesus shows them. Jesus died, that's the value that Jesus has assigned to you, by the way, when I look at you, I need to remember that Jesus Christ thought that you were worth suffering and being tortured and shedding blood for. Right? Jesus thought you were that valuable. He thought you were valuable enough that he would condescend to not just be a human, but being a human that got no honor from anyone. Right? He... Brought himself to a point where he would know what was in the hearts of people who hated him and rejected him, including some of his own friends, really all of his own friends at different times, right? And he said, you were worth that price to pay. So when I look at you, right, I should be looking at you as someone that Jesus said, I would suffer immensely for. I would suffer for 33 and a half years for Matt. I'd suffer 33 and a half years for Dorian, right? Jesus suffered that long for him. I should love him in that way. Give him that honor. He deserves that honor. And then to jump into 1 Corinthians in, uh, chapter 12. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Uh, Andrew mentioned a couple of things in his sermon a couple of weeks ago. He says, uh, one was to show others how much you love them, right? So that they know and feel that you love them. Two was on how assured and secure Paul was. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans and First Corinthians, by the way, in the love of all the church for him, right? Paul was supremely the only person who was more supremely confident in anything that I can know in Scripture for sure would be Jesus. Right? Secure in the Father's love for him, in the Spirit's love for him. Uh, whether they sinned against him and he didn't want to hold against them, or they deserted him, right? As we mentioned earlier, or whether he was sick or had reason to despair, he was always fully confident in that love. So how does Jesus use us to build someone up to be like Paul? Right? Like, how do we create Paul out here? People aren't usually created or sanctified so immediately you know, they are uh, without needing any kind of intentional effort on their part for that. Usually the effort has to be made so that they have that kind of confidence. Even even the person with that kind of confidence, sometimes over time, that can win. Paul's telling us right here, those who we we do or we think are less honorable, right? We make it our mission to bestow on them greater honor. I should be loving the Texans of the world way more. And then, you know, maybe someone who gets a little more honor than text, but still not much. The text says that the other parts, like Paul, don't require this, right? It's the one that's not getting the love or the honor that require it. And Paul says that when a part of the body is lacking honor, we get greater honor. We lead the way, we outdo one another, right? And showing that part of the body honor where it's lacking. And we do this because there'll be no division in the body. That's why Paul says that you don't know, want the body to be divided. I grew up in a, a broken family, right? Like um, in the family that got in, you know, my mother and my father divorced when I was real young. And you know, stepfather and stepfather you was know, people here, some, maybe you not know, all, can relate to that on some level or another if you had the choice, if God gave you the choice in what you did, right, to do things that would keep that brokenness from happening, it's in your power you would want to do it, right? Nobody wants want, want to have swipe. We love each other. You want. I know it's not always in our power. But Paul's a realist, right? He knows that when a person feels whatever they think they need, and you know, some people feel like they need attention a lot, right? When they feel starved for it, right, that can cause division. So we can't be idealists here and realists everywhere else. We gotta be a realist for that too, right? We chew for the ideal, but we're a realist about the fact that, hey, I know that that person should be like Paul, and I believe in my heart that they will be like Paul, but they're, they're probably not there yet. I'm going to go through that person's moments, right? So I'm saying Paul, you know, he may have been just really a confident man, but I fully believe in my heart that Paul was made that way and maintained that way and kept that way because he had love poured out on him from all of the brethren, right? You see in the book of Acts the the type of love, the radical love that they had. They were all of one heart and mind, right? Like all of their possessions was the other's, right? They had everything in common. You see see that they accepted Paul in the first place, right? At first they're kind of like, I don't know, God, man. This guy's going to come and kill us, right? That's his whole mission, right? And God says, no, he's mine. And what do they do? They heal him. Right? If there's one thing like a guy that wants to kill you, if he's lost his sight, probably you wouldn't want to do is make sure he got it back, right? So that he'd be more effective at carrying out that mission that you thought he had of like killing you, right? But they healed Paul, and then they accepted him, and eventually they got to the point where they said, him Paul, along with Barnabas initially, he's going to be like our guy to go out and spread the gospel, right? He's going to be." Apostles for Jesus, and we're going to send him off. Like he was one of the two people that they were basically entrusting more than anyone else to go carry this gospel message. As this dude that at one point in time they thought was going to end their life, right? Who hated them brutally. Like nobody here has been hated by someone like Paul hated the church. I don't think. And if they have, probably not expressed in the way that it was to say that. Paul gets all this love, all being built up, of Paul and Paul being directed. Right? Paul is still, he's not lacking for honor. They're not saying, man, look, he's never going to honor Paul again. Paul is not going to hurt him. Paul is always going to get more abundant honor than he ever needed. Not only does he have that in Jesus, and Paul, I believe, is satisfied in that, he, he has a true body, too. So you can see that he counts the love of one man as love from everyone in that church, right? He knew he had an overabundance. He could give some of that away. Right? He could send that to other people. Look how many times King Jesus, in his humility, right, gave away his own honor and he made sure it went to someone who was an honor. He went to, you know, a woman, right? A woman as well. He want a Samaritan woman. Someone who's a purple someone who was a leper, right? These are people who had no honor, right? Jesus, as I mentioned in that earlier, Jesus washed the feet of a tax collector, right? Fisherman and a tax collector. In, In Jerusalem at that time, or anywhere in Israel, a tax collector was considered like the biggest traitor that there could be. It would be like George Washington washing Benedict Arnold's feet. It would be like it would be like Philando Castile's girlfriend watching the police officers keep shot the right? That's the kind of humility. I'm actually gonna jump ahead since you can get on the wrong one. I'm gonna go to Roman 16 this is like Paul wrapping it up. He says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, I think, I think it's been Korea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Ruth, Priscilla and Nicola, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles do thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Ephenides, who who is my first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who's worked hard for you. Paul goes on to talk about a number of people there to greet, and he mentions something about each one of them, right? Uh, he, he actually talks uh, about a woman, he doesn't even name her, right? He just says that it's Ruth as his mother, who's been a mother to him as well, right? Now you say, oh, He's not giving her honor. Number one, she's in Scripture, and he's mentioning she's a mother to him as well. That's the kind of heart he has. But also, she knows, because of the relationship that they have, she doesn't need to be mentioned any differently, right? But all of these other people that he's mentioning, he talks about. He says something about them, right? Imagine being immortalized in Scripture as being the very first convert in Asia, right? That's awesome. I, I can't tell you like how encouraged I was. Like, Think about this, like, who's the first convert from Kennedy Park? Who's going to be the first person from the mosque, right? Who's going to be that person? Honor them in that way, right? Remind them. That's an exciting thing, right? That everybody, not only in the Church of Rome, but basically every Christian that's ever going to get a hold of this letter and read it, is going to know who the first convert in Angel was, right? Before we get to heaven. Timothy, who's like his son, right? All he says is, he's my fellow worker, and he greets me. Right? We think that Timothy would be this guy that he would just pour out all of it. Oh, Timothy, he's so awesome. He came with me. He has suffered this and this and this with me. He's done this and this and this for you me. Know? No. Timothy already knows what his relationship is with right? Paul. He honors him, but he makes sure that these other people, people who were probably... I don't even know if Paul all these people or heard of something. Honestly. But he's giving them honor by name and saying something about them that they've done that's known for us. Right? So can you tell when you read the book of Romans that Paul had partiality to anyone there? I would assume that Timothy, through the rest of Scripture, would be the person that he would have probably the most affection for But if you read through Romans 16, you'd never have any idea, right? I bet you there weren't any factions because people thought that he loved to be more, right? And if they were, they probably got resolved Lord, God, uh, I thank you for your grace on all of us, God. have chosen us called us together. God, I thank you that you've made us law. You literally just part of one another. We're one in your spirit. Thank you that you've given us love, Lord, that you loved us first. God, uh, that you teach us how to love. God, uh, that you draw us in that way. Thank you that. No matter where any of us is, God, I thank you to no matter where my shortcomings are and I'm loving my brothers and sisters, God. And I know uh, that every single one of us is going to not only build up in that way, but we going been carry that through the completion of so, God. When I read First Corinthians 13, I can know that uh, I can read it as if it's already happened, God, I uh, pray that in us when people see us, God, that they actually recognize you, they recognize your love, God, that when they see how we love them and how we are with one another, God, they would have no idea when they look at us, Lord, if there was ever any hard feelings between anybody. They would have no idea if there was any problem at I pray that our love would overcome everything. I pray that we would find... Peace in you, God. I pray that we would find full contentment in you, God. I pray that Lord, if someone is suffering, God, if someone, God needs to know that they're loved, God, that you remind them tonight and tomorrow and the next day, God, that they're loved. God, I pray that God next month and next year, God, that we look at people who come in who are not even a part of this body right now, God, we look at them and we give them greater honor, God, that we give them love, we build them up uh, so we can be sending out calls to Lewiston, to the rest of Maine, and the rest of the world. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Uh, Thank you, God, for the faith you've given them. Thank you for your word and the apostle Paul, God, and the example he is to us. Lord, that we can know God not only how to love, but how to endure, God. We can see a model of that, God. I thank you for God, how you came, how you suffered for us. God, thank you for the price you paid for us. God, I pray that we worship you in spirit tonight, God, that we would just cry out and thank you for that love, God. I pray that we praise you, God, for everything that you've done, the work of your hands and the people around us, God. We pray that people would see that, God, they would glorify your name, God, and they would want to follow you because of this pray that you are blessed and your name is blessed Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53 proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell 53com